Well, I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 10. We will pick up in verse 13 this morning, walk through verse 31 together in a message entitled, The Greatest Treasure. The Greatest Treasure. I want to begin with this question, have you ever found a treasure? Now, husbands, you should look at your wife now and say, yes, I have found a treasure, right? I've always thought about that. I've always watched TV shows about people finding treasure, and I always love to watch those. They are fascinating to me. My family hates them. I love them. But for me, finding treasure in my life looks like going to thrift stores or antique stores and looking for what everyone else has overlooked. Now, some of you are thinking this morning already, that's where they keep junk. And you're not wrong most of the time. But every once in a while, as you're browsing through, you find some treasure, something that you were not expecting to find. There are a few categories of things I look for. I love fountain pens. I know that's weird, but I love fountain pens. You find good fountain pens in thrift stores or antique stores. And then I also love to find old watches, mechanical watches. So I will go in and those are the two things I'm looking for. And typically 90% of the time, there's nothing there. Waste of an hour and 30 minutes, right? But every once in a while, I will walk in and the music plays in the background and I find something that I never thought I would find, a hidden treasure right there. This morning, as we look in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 13, walking down through verse 31, I want us to consider that Jesus is the greatest treasure that any of us could find. And we're going to see that played out in the text this morning. And so if you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to write down these parallel passages that go along with Mark chapter 10, the verses that we'll cover, Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 through verse 30, Luke chapter 18, verses 15 through verse 30. In your own time with the Lord over the course of this next week, I simply encourage you to spend some time reading through these accounts and the other gospels of the stories that we're going to walk through this morning and encourage you to reflect over the coming week of the truth of what God's word has to say to us. Look with me, Mark chapter 10, I want to read first verses 13 through verse 16, and then later in the message, we'll pick up in verse 17, going down through verse 31. But look with me, Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 13. This is God's word. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. 
And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see. You would open our ears that we would be able to hear. And that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. As we begin to look at this passage of Scripture this morning, I'd encourage you to write down this main idea that will frame our time together in God's Word. It's this truth, authentic saving faith recognizes Jesus is the greatest treasure. Authentic saving faith recognizes Jesus is is the greatest treasure. Now, you may have come in this morning, and for you, you are not yet a follower of Jesus. You've never turned from your sins and placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And my hope and my prayer for you this morning is that you would see very clearly that Jesus is the greatest treasure of all. And that you would take that step of placing your faith and trust in him alone for salvation. But maybe you have already done that. You come in this morning, you say, Pastor, I am a follower of Jesus already. And can I press on us a little bit, especially this season, this time of year is a perfect opportunity for us to ask the question in our own lives, do I truly treasure Jesus above everything else? Is Jesus the greatest treasure in my life? I want you to look with me in verses 13 through verse 16. Let's consider Jesus speaking of childlike faith in these verses. Look with me in verse 13. It says, they, that is the crowds that were around Jesus in this moment as he is in Judea, as he has been teaching, as he has been interacting with the religious leaders, the crowds were coming to Jesus and they were bringing their children with them. This was something that was very common at this point in time in Jewish culture. In fact, a rabbi that would come into a town, the townspeople who were Jewish would come and they would bring their children to this rabbi and they would ask the rabbi to bless their children. Would you you bless my child? And so that's exactly what they do with Jesus. It tells us they were bringing their children to Jesus that he might touch them, that he might bless them. But the disciples rebuked them. The disciples were having none of it. They were not interested in these parents bringing their children to Jesus. In fact, I could could imagine at this point in time, they were likely simply exhausted. And they thought, children coming to Jesus What may end up happening? It's going to be loud. It's going to be difficult. 
They may be running around. They may be crying. It may, be, it may just be too much for Jesus. We need to protect him. We need to insulate him from the crowds. And so they were actually turning away and rebuking in the most forceful way that you could think of to these parents saying, you need to leave. Don't bring your children to Jesus. Notice verse 14, when Jesus saw it, He was indignant. It's not a word we use often. Put it in our terms. He was big mad. (laughs) He was not happy with his disciples in this moment. As they're seeking to keep the kids from him, Jesus is not happy. And he said to them, let the children come to me, do not hinder them. Jesus says to his disciples, step aside, boys. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder the children from coming to me. That's what Jesus tells them. But notice that he follows that up with a why. Why does Jesus say this to his disciples? Notice For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Why does Jesus say to his disciples, don't hinder the children from coming to me. Let them come to me. Jesus follows up to answer that question that they were probably thinking already in their minds. Why, Jesus, would you say that? Because the kingdom of God belongs to God to such as these. Well, what did Jesus mean by that? What did Jesus mean to say the kingdom of God belongs to such like these children? Notice verse 15. He says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Remember that at this point in time, Jesus has been teaching about the kingdom. Jesus has been proclaiming about what it looks like to live in the kingdom. Remember the the last number of weeks, we've talked about the fact that Jesus has been elevating what it looks like to follow him. He's been challenging his disciples and the crowds to think about what does it look like to actually follow Jesus. And here, notice that Jesus says, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter. Childlike faith is marked by humble dependence. Think about what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying to place faith and trust in him alone for salvation takes childlike faith. Think about that. For you, if you have raised kids, you've seen this on display. Kids, kids are able to believe in things pretty easily, aren't they? Doesn't take a whole lot. Now, for us as adults, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, But trust or faith gets harder the older that you get. You notice that? 
I don't ride roller coasters today. I don't do it. Because I don't believe that it's safe. You say, hang on just a second. I love riding roller coasters. Have you noticed that it took a bystander to point out on a roller coaster that there was a crack? And I'm thinking, perfect point right there, right? I don't ride rides at the fair. I'm just not doing it, church. But kids, they don't even think, right? They just, they just jump on the ride. They just ride. They enjoy. They love it. Why? They're not in the least bit thinking about the fact that, that someone who, who probably is not the best person in the world has been setting up these rides, and they're probably not thinking about all the bolts that need to go in. They're not thinking about the things that may happen if it comes apart. They've got insurance to cover that, right? They just jump on and ride. And Jesus says about these children, but I would say he says it to every single person. What does it take to be saved? What does it take to be forgiven of your sins, to be brought into the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ? It takes childlike faith. A Humble dependence on Jesus Christ alone for salvation. You know, as we think through that, I just want to remind you of some research that's out there. Barna, who's a group that does a, a ton of research about Christians, Barna found that 94%, 94% of adult Christians say that they came to faith in Jesus Christ before the age of 18. 94%. Just for the enjoyment of it this morning, how many of you would say, I came to faith in Jesus Christ before 18? Just raise your hand. Point proven, right? But as we think through this, what we're reminded of is that Jesus says to us in these verses that it takes childlike faith, a humble dependence on Jesus alone for salvation, which as we think through that, can I just encourage us as a church family that we continue to go all in on the next generation, on our children and on our teenagers knowing that 94% of adult Christians say they came to faith in Jesus Christ before age 18, which means for us, we have a limited window to continue to present the gospel of Jesus Christ to them and encourage them to follow Jesus with their lives. And as we think through that, can I just encourage you as well as a faith family to be praying for our kids on any given Sunday, there's over 150 kids, fifth grade and under, here at North River Church that's plugged in. 150. And the vast majority of them, if they are going to come to faith in Jesus Christ, will do it before they turn 18 years old. Pray for them. Pray for our volunteers 
who are serving week in and week out, both in kids' ministry and in student ministry. Lift them up before the Lord. Lift our kids before the Lord. Ready? Serve in those ministry areas. Serve with them. Invest your time and effort and energy into sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. One of the things that the Lord has so blessed North River with is a ton of kids. But it also comes with a ton of responsibility. Whoever wants the next generation the most will get them. And for us, as we consider Jesus' words here, we should recognize that we have an opportunity that God has placed before us, and we be faithful to do what God has called us to do, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to these kids and to challenge them to take that step of trusting in Him alone for salvation. And parents, can I encourage you, that is the most important thing in your kid's life is taking that step of trusting Jesus as their Savior. It's more important than the ball team that they play on. It's more important than the grades that they make in classes at school. And I know I'm getting daggers thrown at me right now. You know what? When I came to North River, guess how many people on the search team asked me what my GPA was? How many asked you? None. You know why? Because it doesn't matter. You know what does matter? Do they have a relationship with Jesus Christ? That's what matters. I want you to notice that Jesus in this moment says, let the kids come. Because to such belongs the kingdom of God. As we look, I want you to notice that we go from this conversation with Jesus about children to a specific moment where a man comes up and is going to ask Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do to be saved? Look with me. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17, I'll read through verse 31, and we'll walk back through it together. Notice, and as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, 
how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Not only do we see childlike faith, but as we consider verses 17 through verse 31, we're going to see genuine faith. Remember that all of this is in an effort to remind us, to encourage us, what does it take to be saved? What does it take to be taken from dead in our sins to alive in Christ? It takes childlike faith. It takes genuine, authentic faith. That's what Jesus is pointing us to in both of these situations. First, with children. Secondly, with this rich young man. It's a fascinating story. It says that this man came up to Jesus and said to him, good teacher, notice the honesty of his question, the desire of his heart that he wants the answer to, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do, this man is saying, to be saved from my sin? What do I need to do to be secure in my eternal destiny? Jesus, tell me, what do I need to do? Now, just to take a step back for a second and remind us as we've walked through Mark's gospel to date, what we are reminded of is that there is nothing that you and I can do in our own strength and in our own power to save ourselves from sin. In fact, we are totally dependent on what Jesus Christ has done, the sinless life that he lived, his death on the cross where he took our sin upon himself and laid his life down on his resurrection when he secures salvation for us. So as we look at this, the truth is, there is nothing that we can do to inherit eternal life. The question that this man begins with is a question that demonstrates the fact that he truly doesn't understand, that he must be totally dependent on Jesus for salvation. He says, what can I do? That's a question that people ask today. In fact, if you think about it, 
Maybe you came in asking that question today. What do I need to do, pastor, to ensure that I have eternal life? What do I need to do to be saved from my sins? I want you to notice what Jesus says to the man. Jesus said to him first, why do you call me good? It's a fascinating question, isn't it? And what you have to understand is that at this point in time, no one would have been considered good except for God. So Jesus is giving this man an opportunity in this moment to declare his belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Remember, this is Mark's aim to remind us that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. This was a moment where this man could have said, Jesus, I call you good because I believe you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. He says, no one is good except God alone. Notice verse 19, Jesus follows that by saying, you know the commandments. And Jesus is about to list for us the last six commandments in the Ten Commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. You could also look at that and and couple that with do not covet your neighbor's things because you would defraud someone to get their things. And then honor your father and mother. I'm excited as we begin the new year, we're going to take a break from walking through Mark's gospel for a bit, and we're going to walk through a series, first 10 weeks of, of uh, January moving forward, we're going to look at the Ten Commandments. We're going to work through a series on each of those commandments. Here we get a little bit of taste of that. Jesus says to this man, here are the six, what we would call horizontal commandments. How do you treat your neighbor? Remember the first four commandments is a vertical relationship with God. Notice the man's response. He said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. What a bold statement for this guy to make. Jesus says, you want to inherit eternal life? Perfectly keep the commandments. The guy says, yep, done that. I've done that. To which let's take a step back and go, No, you have not. Not even close. In fact, Paul reminds us in the New Testament that the law of God serves as a mirror in our lives. It shows us our sinfulness. It points out the reality that it is impossible for us to perfectly keep the law of God, which is why we desperately need a Savior. And Jesus in this moment, once again, he's given this man an opportunity to say that Jesus is the son of God. That's why he calls him good. Now he gives him an opportunity here to say honestly before Jesus, hey, I've not kept those commandments perfectly. I've not been able to do that. Again, a measure of humility in this moment he could have demonstrated, but he doesn't. He simply says, I've done those. I've kept those from my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, watch this, you lack one thing. 
Jesus doesn't argue with him. I love this. He doesn't argue and say, what an idiot. How could you say that? Which he had every right to do in this moment. But he says, you lack one thing. Hey, one, one glaring problem. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now you may be thinking in your mind, okay, well, pastor, you've said there's nothing I can do to inherit eternal life, but Jesus just tells this man here, go sell all of his possessions, give it to the poor, and then he can have eternal life if he comes and follows him. Here's what you have to understand. Jesus is pinpointing something in this man's life. He is demonstrating for this man that this man has a God in his life. And that God is what he owns. That God is his possessions. Because notice his response in verse 22. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. Think about this. This man comes to Jesus and says, I want eternal life. What do I need to do to have it? And Jesus says, have you kept the commandments? God says, yep, done that. Jesus says, you got one problem. You got a lot of stuff. And in that moment, Jesus is saying to this man, not necessarily you have a lot of stuff, but your stuff has a stranglehold on your heart. It is God in your life. Which if you think about it, Jesus takes this man back to the first four commandments that speak of our relationship vertically with God. The man's already said, I've settled the last six commandments, my relationship with other people. And Jesus says, your problem is your stuff is your God. How do we know this? Because Jesus says to him, sell it all and give the money away and come and follow me. And the man is unwilling to do that because he had great possessions. Jesus exposes in this man's life his God. Says to this man, your God is what you own. And the reality is what you own actually owns you. It is on the throne of your heart. And you are unwilling to release that and to follow me. Because you think that that you possess is the greatest treasure, you've lost sight of the fact, Jesus saying to this man, I am the greatest treasure of all. It's fascinating when you look at this. Jesus in verse 23 looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus knows what his disciples are thinking about in this moment. Because wealth was considered part of the blessing of God in someone's life. 
So for this man to have incredible wealth, the Jewish people would have looked at and said, God has blessed him tremendously. Certainly he's part of the kingdom. Certainly he's part of God's family or else God would not have blessed him in that way. And Jesus exposes in this moment and says, it's, it, is, it is tough for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. His disciples' minds are blown. In fact, they go so far as to say, then who can be saved if the rich guy can't be saved because of his wealth? Then who can be saved? Jesus is exposing in this moment That your wealth will not save you. In fact, nothing can save you apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus is the greatest treasure. And to this man who has much, Jesus says the reality is you may have a lot on your balance sheet but you are spiritually bankrupt because you do not have a relationship with me. It's easy for us to look at this and to say, well, I bet that guy had a lot. I don't have that problem. If you look globally around the world, Every single one of us in this room are in the top 1% globally with what we have. If you could open your pantry or your refrigerator and there's more than one item in there, you have a lot. And the temptation for us is to trust in what we have and to value it above everything else. And Jesus exposes in our hearts in this moment that for us, he is and must be the greatest treasure. You can put a number of other things in there as well outside of wealth. You can put any type of thing or person that you can imagine on the throne of your heart and realize it will lead you nowhere. Jesus Christ must be the greatest treasure in our lives. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus this morning, I simply encourage you, let Jesus be the greatest treasure in your life. His life, his death, his resurrection, place your faith and trust in him alone. And the promise of God's word is that you will be saved from your sins and brought into the family of God and receive eternal life and life abundant today in relationship with him. Maybe you're already a follower of Jesus. You say, Pastor, I, I, I've done that. Can I ask you this question? If you are honest before the Lord right now, you look back over the last week, maybe the last few months, what have you treasured at times more than Jesus in your life? As we approach this Christmas season, this is an opportunity for us to do a recalibration on our heart and to ask that question. As we come to celebrate Jesus Christ, the baby born in a manger, can we ask the question of ourselves as followers of Jesus, what are we treasuring 
right now in our hearts above all things. Can I remind us? Jesus Christ is the greatest treasure. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me this morning. As our worship team makes their way back up, maybe you have come in today, not yet a follower of Jesus, and you've recognized this morning that that is the step that you need to take, to treasure Jesus Christ above everything else. With childlike faith, genuine faith, to trust completely and totally and humbly in what Jesus has done for you. Maybe for you, that's the step you need to take this morning. I can think of no better time of the year than now to take that step. Maybe you're already a follower of Jesus, but if you are honest this morning, There are other things, maybe this past week, maybe over the last few months, that you have treasured in your heart above Jesus. God's Word calls that idolatry. And this is an opportunity at this time of season, this year, to confess that to the Lord, to once again treasure Jesus above everything else. Maybe for you this morning, that's the step you need to take. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the treasure that is Jesus Christ, what he's done for us. We thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? Join us as we sing. Our altar's open, our pastors are down front. You come as the Lord leads.